Hello everyone, this is Noah and John, and we are from Urban Digs, and today we're talking Manhattan. Mm -hmm. John, we're talking New Dev Manhattan today. I'm looking forward to it. This is one of the more opaque sectors generally, gener generally. So hopefully yeah. today we're going to have some, uh, some insight that's uh, thrown at us. Well, we got one of, one of the most the connected. Yeah. We got one of the most connected. We got Tara Holdings. We got Steven Kliegerman, and he is the man. And uh, he's the man with the plan, and he, he's the man with the knowledge. So, Steven, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. So, listen, um, tell everyone who you are and what you do. And uh, when you're done with that, tell us what's going on in the new development sector. Sure. Happy to. So, I'm Steven Kliegerman. I'm president of Terra Development Marketing, which is the parent company of Halstead Development Marketing and Brown Harris Stevens Development Marketing. I've been in residential real estate for approximately 32 years, started my own company um, back in the late 1990s or 1980s, geez, and um, uh, had that for 10 years and then was uh, lucky enough to uh, hook up with uh, Clark Halstead and uh, start a development division for him and his company. And then we were eventually bought by Terra and I've been running our new development divisions ever since. So um, seen a yeah. lot, been, been through a lot of different ups and downs. I saw the, the late 80s, the dot-com bust in 2000, unfortunately 9-11, uh, the recession in 08, 09, and now we have COVID-19. Yeah, a new one. So, so what's going on out there? How, how is this different? How is it the same? You know, it, this is different because it's not an economic-caused uh, event, Right. Mm -hmm. So this is a and it's a global event. It's not a local event. So uh, there's a lot of different factors here uh, versus those other events, because those other events, they, they were they were economically driven. And, you know, you, you could you could see a clear path out once certain decisions were made. Uh, with this event, it's, it's quite different because the, the the pandemic is kind of rolling across our country and rolling across our world. So different markets are getting impacted and different um, there's different impact to our market because of that, you know, right. in, in, in uh, for instance, in, in the 08, 09 economic crisis, although uh, construction slowed, construction didn't stop still. Yeah. Right. In two, in, in, at 9-11 construction stopped for a couple of days, not months. So, you know, because of that, we have a lot of different economic factors and market factors converging. We have supply increasing or the, the, or, the, or the concept of supply increasing when all of the spring market supply does come back to the market. We mm -hmm. have delays in construction, which are pushing off uh, closing dates and creating potential opportunities for buyers to either attempt to renegotiate or not close because of drop dead dates that are either prescribed in the offering plan or in a contractual uh, drop dead date for a closing, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and, and then, and then we have the typical supply that would have been coming this spring anyway, and it's all coming together at the same time. Mm -hmm. So it, it's, it, I think it's harder to navigate this one because we're not on our own. We're so reliant on other factors, including the governor's office, which is dictating our time that we can even come back to some sense of normalcy in a market. Yeah, there's that's I mean, just in, in itself right there. That's a lot to unpack. So let me just start with something which is the you know, we talked about how this is uh, sort of a it's a pandemic. It did start as an economic event. But typically when someone thinks about the real estate industry, especially on the commercial side, the development side, you know, it's like it's like changing a ship a battleship in the ocean. Like it doesn't turn on a dime. It doesn't really necessarily stop. So I'm curious what kind of things were happening when this market actually did come to a complete stop still literally overnight. 
So we were actually trending in a great direction. The first two months of 2020, uh, January and February, sales were up 44% uh, year over year, uh, or sales volume, I should say, was up 44%. I believe sales were up about 30% year over year in new development. Um, we, we were seeing positive uh, market indicators, both in Manhattan and in Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. uh, our offices were busy. It, it felt like buyers, it felt like the market had basically come to a reasonable bottom. Um, demand was high, interest rates, rates were at historic lows. It was like the perfect opportunity for the market to start healing and then march it. Right. And, and March 13th came along and, and things came to a screeching halt. But with that, the first quarter of 20 was still better than the first quarter of 19 as far as sales volume and total new development sales contracts. So yeah. we were trending in a great direction. Right. Now, yeah, and I, go, oh, ahead, go ahead, sorry. No, oh, I was going to say- 19 came and, you know, the whole world changed. In, in March, uh, volume was down about- 30 to 40%. In April, it's down between 70 and 85%. We expect, you know, by the end of May, it'll probably be down 90% in sales volume. Right. And, and, and you know, if, if you're looking at sales volume, like you said, that's really going to be representative of, of the market that was coming back, um, which was, you know, December, January, February, before this really started to hit. Even, even March, I mean, we could argue that contracts that were signed in early March were not true Corona trades. Really, yeah. um, so if if the no showings order was was on the uh, was it twenty second or twentieth? I can't remember anymore. Yeah, just um, and, and offers were accepted. Offers were accepted um, back in late March. Chances are those new dev contracts weren't signed until April. So we have a big lag now. We got to wait months to find out where those real true Corona new dev deals are priced. Stephen, do you have any idea? I'm talking Corona deals, like recent trades, buyers that potentially may have signed a contract in the last five or six weeks. Um, any idea what types of, of deals they're getting or what that looks like? Generally? We do. We've, we've thankfully signed a number of deals post uh, the, the no showing order. Uh, some of those buyers, the majority of those buyers had at least visited a sales office or a model home at least once, but mm -hmm. there are a couple that actually are buying 100% virtually. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, we've got about 30 deals that were either signed or have a contract out post. We, we use March 15th as a date. Um, I would say there are about eight of those 30 deals or buyers that literally started their negotiation um, without ever seeing the property. And about half of those offers came post March 15th. Um, in Brooklyn, we're not seeing that much of a, of a drop off in, in, in pricing, you know, maybe two or 3% people are trying to negotiate, but the prices in Brooklyn had already kind of reset a little bit anyway. And, and the Brooklyn market, you're talking about pro properties between one and two and a half million dollars, mm -hmm. um, where we're seeing the real drop off in, in pricing, or at least a buyer's trying to get a deal is in the 4 million and up market where I'm speaking to friends at other companies and people obviously within our company and our own deals, you know, where, where buyers are offering anywhere between 15 and 20 or 25% off ask. The, the interesting thing though is on some of those, they're not, those aren't bad offers because they're projects that frankly were really overpriced to begin with and maybe 20% off ask is actually the right number to begin with. Um, 
I think what you'll see going forward is we've had a number of calls from, you know, um, brokers that represent investors that are looking for a bulk sale or a number of units and looking for a bigger discount. I'm not seeing much of that happen right now. We know about the one that was um, written about at Waterline Square, and we know, uh, you know, that supposedly uh, a, a bulk deal was being tried to put together for um, the 11. But other than that, I'm not seeing that yet. I do expect some bulk sales. I think there are some projects out there that if you weren't 25 or 30% sold and you've been on the market for a year already, you've got some problems. And now you've got real problems. Right. If you were a project that was about to launch, you're just not going to launch right now. You're going to wait a couple of months before you launch. Right. And, and we haven't really seen major problems yet. I mean, not yet. And, not and, yet. and, 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 and it's interesting, Stephen, because before COVID, um, we were asking these questions too. It's like, wow, we've been in a downturn for four or five years now and, it's, and we're kind of at their lows in, in mid-2019. We started coming back towards the end, um, as you said. Um, and we were talking about defaults and we're like, it's weird. We haven't seen any defaults this cycle. Now this, this huge crisis hits, you would think new development was most exposed. Yeah. That's where the, the leverage goes, you know, the, 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 the tide goes out, you see who's levered up and the debt, you know, where the debt is. And you haven't seen that yet. Well, you haven't seen it yet because of inventory loans, right? Mm -hmm. So the defaults were all staved off because of relatively less expensive money stepping in um, to either help the developer kick the can down the road to a better market or predatory lending where that, that lender just figures, okay, I'll be the next guy in and I'll be the guy that owns the project. Um, you are going to see some either bulk sales, complete development sales, or some defaults in the future because of what's happening now. Um, and it's twofold. Again, it's not just sales that are down. It's the fact that construction was, was stopped. And because construction was stopped, these developers are now far behind on their timeline. So they can't even meet the hurdles that are in their loans. So they've got problems there. Mm -hmm. um, right. Plus, they're coming up against drop dead dates. So there are some developers out there, unfortunately, who may literally lose good deals because they can't deliver on time for no fault of their own. But so far, their lenders aren't making any accommodations. And the attorney general's office gave us a little bit of a help with a one-month stay of execution, but they're not giving us what we really need, which is proportionate time to get back to where you would have been. Because for every one day you're not constructing, it's three days until you get back, right? And when we do go back to construction, mm. I know the governor said we're going to come back mid, uh, about May 15th they're not going to be coming back at 100% workforce on these construction sites. They're going to be coming back at 25%, 30% workforce. So that's going to hurt them as well. So I do think, unfortunately, you are going to see some defaults. I think good projects will still survive, but those projects that we've all kind of hemmed and hawed and tried to wonder, like, what were they ever thinking in the first place? Yeah. They're in trouble. And how many of, the, how many of, of these, um, before you were talking about, how many of the developments are, are there that are facing that kind of um, situation that you were just talking about just before? I, I, you know, it's, it's hard to say exactly, um, but I would say, you know, it could be 10 to 15, it could be 10 to 15% of the developments out there that are up against one, one hurdle or another, whether gotcha. it's drop dead dates, contractual drop dead dates, right. or just, you know, they, they, they've been pushing, they've been pushing, kicking the can down the road, pushing things off, hoping things would get better. And they just started to, and they started to see some light at the end of the tunnel. And now all of a sudden they just got whacked in the head right. and now they've got real problems. Right. And, it, and, and, and then, you know, think about all the residential resale inventory that's about to come to market as well. 
And it's like the perfect storm for all this inventory coming at the same time. Well, and, and, and that's going to create even more downward pressure. And I look at this, I'm looking at my charts here and, and, and new dev inventory is down. I, mean, I guess, I guess a lot of stuff came off the market and I look at retail, it's down. I mean, I know I've been talking about market wide. I mean, it's just, it's just the fact that a lot less stuff has been coming on the market. Um, resales down. Um, big time, 35% year over year. We probably should be at, at, at 5,500 or something on, re on resale. Right. Um, right. And we're not. Right. So if, if, if eventually that resale product is going to come back, right? Mm -hmm. And then the new development product is going to go back on the market. And all of a sudden, your, your supply of 4,040 is going to go to 7,000. Okay. So, so Stephen, this is so interesting. So, right. So if I look at market wide, it's 5,015. We were thinking the other day, we were talking this out. Um, and, and we figured out that if you take all of the missed inventory in March based on the three-year averages, and you take all the missed inventory in April, and you took all the missed inventory in May, okay? And then I think we stopped in June because we assumed that we're going to have the, the lockdown lifted in May. So we stopped there. And then you look at off-market and which direction that switched early March when this all started and where it should be. And we figured there's about somewhere around 5,500 to 6,000 units. Yeah. Yeah, that. and, that's, and that's supply. That's not even counting the what, what we all re refer to as shadow inventory of unreleased units in buildings that have approved Schedule A's, but like it's a, let's just say it's a 100-unit building, but they only have 20 on the market. Mm -hmm. and right. So, 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 well, right, so for new developments, that's always happened, right? It's always been the case where we just never know right. what the hell's going on over there. But for, for resale, for the most part, if it's listed, it's, it's an RLS, so it's you know, a good 95%, right. 96 capture rate right. on that market. But, but, but the question is, I mean, I really don't know if it's all coming right back. I mean, is it coming right back like a rubber band? Are we going to have the, the lockdowns eased? Okay, and I guess there's two ways of thinking here. Are we going to have the lockdown eased and then literally within two weeks or three weeks, like a rubber band, it snaps back like a light switch and you, and you have my supply numbers go to 8,000 or something crazy. You know, I, I don't expect all the 6,000 to come on, but yeah. um, maybe it goes to 8,000 or something high or, or one second, or yeah. does, does this take stages and phases and where buildings are going to stop, you know, buildings are going to say no, no to open houses. And, and, and again, I keep saying this, mark me down. There are going to be agents that are on the other side of the whole opening coin the argument. They're going to be like, I don't want to be put in a position to run open houses with 40 people. Well, I, first of all, I don't think they're going to be allowed to run open houses. I don't think any co-op or condo is going to allow, to allow that type of traffic. So I think what you're going to see is you're going to see still appointments start out virtually and then go to one-on-one -on -one appointments. I do think you'll see a lot of inventory come on the market, but I, I agree with you. It may not be all the inventory at once because some may just say, I'm not going to, I'm not going to join the party. But what we also have seen, and, and, you know, we've all been talking about it and we have friends that have done it. Um, there's been a lot of people that have temporarily moved out of Manhattan mm -hmm. because of COVID. How quickly do they come back or do they, do they decide I'm going to put my apartment on the market, right? I, I'm, I'm going to wait it out just like kind of what happened after 9-11. Um, people left, obviously they had to leave downtown lower Manhattan. They moved out of the city for two years and they realized how much they missed the city and they came back. And I think you'll see some of that again, where you'll see people to decide to stay in their, uh, temporary residence, maybe at least till the, till the fall, if not until the winter, maybe a little longer mm -hmm. and then come back. And those who don't come back, they're not going to carry two residences. So they're going to sell. Yeah. Well, I've got an interesting twist on that question, which is that, you know, Several years ago, when, when new developments first started coming out, they were really crushing the townhouse sector because it used to be that if you wanted the size, you had to buy a townhouse. And suddenly, new developments started getting bigger and bigger, and the amenity set just started going off the charts. 
just to your point, if you're coming back into the city, let's say you flee the city like I did from the two bed, two bath co-op in the Upper East, Upper East Side, you come back in and be like, man, I, I would love to have some outdoor space and some amenities. So if I have to stay in my building, you know, it's comfortable. I might start be looking at new developments, number one there. And I'm just curious, at some point, all this is going to kind of work through the cycle. But as you mentioned earlier, no one's really building. And I'm curious what your thoughts are on the future pipeline for new developments, not necessarily in the next couple of years, but looking out three, four or five years. Well, you know, I, I think the future pipeline is really going to be dependent on the lending markets. And I, I expect the short term lending markets to be very, very tight. And I don't think anybody without a major track record is going to be getting a construction loan for the next, I would say 12 months at least. So I think that actually could be a good thing for our supply issue because it'll, it'll give some of our supplies some more time to be absorbed. Um, the other thing is there aren't that many really great sites left in Manhattan. So I, I actually think that that new development construction will slow regardless, mm -hmm. but I think that you'll see other areas start to pick it up. Brooklyn, I, st I still think we'll see significant development in the future, but I think you're going to start seeing a lot of development in Queens. And we've seen some uh, primarily in Long Island City and, and, and Flushing, uh, but you know, areas like Astoria and Jackson Heights, um, uh, Sunnyside, particularly if that rezoning comes through, I think you're going to see more of that. And the, the interesting thing, one of the things that we're also starting to see in the um, potential purchasers who are contacting us is that we're starting to hear buyers who only wanted to live in Manhattan now saying, you know what? I want to be in the city of New York, but I don't want to be in Manhattan. I want to be in a little less congested area. Maybe I'll consider Queens. Maybe I'll look in Brooklyn where I wasn't looking before. Um, so I, I think that I think that construction will continue, but I think you're going to see it, it continue in different neighborhoods where the cost of land is lower, where the cost of construction is a little bit lower, and where there's a little less competition. Right. Really, um, really, really interesting stuff. Hey, listen, if, I, if I'm an agent right now and I got a buyer right now that's, that's trying to tip their toe into the new dev waters, and I was on record for saying that I think new dev was one of the best plays before COVID because I thought it was, the, it was one of the hardest hit sectors. I don't know if you would agree with that or not from the downturn since 2014, 2015. Well, I, I think there's been some great opportunities in new development in the last six to eight months. I, I would agree. It, it, it was reasonably hard hit, mm -hmm. but there's some really good quality product out there. So I, I would agree that new development has, has great opportunity. Also, you know, you're talking about, you know, the latest finishes, the best amenities, you know, and, 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 and the highest level of design. So there are definitely, there, there were, and I think still will be opportunities um, but, you know, I, I actually think the co-op market is the most undervalued market in the city. You know, and I know I'm not the co-op guy, but to me, the co-op market is literally oh, yeah. 25, 30% below the condo market. I mean, that doesn't yeah. make sense to me. Well, they're almost, they're almost polar opposites. I mean, if you look at the co-ops in Sutton Place and you have to put down 50%, you got to have, you know, four times the purchase price in assets. I mean... In this day and age, that seems like a stretch compared to a condo where, yeah, the closing price, the closing costs are higher, but you own it and it's yours. Yeah, you except, you, you know, not every co-op is a 50% down co-op. There's plenty of 20% or 25% down co-ops. And I think that's where there's some real good value. I wouldn't want to put 50% of my equity anywhere. But yeah. if I have to put down 20%, I'm probably doing that anyway on most purchases in a new development anyway, maybe 25%. But I think there's great opportunity in the co-op market, uh, you know, for numerous reasons, you know, particularly because at least those co-ops, if they don't have a big underlying mortgage and they have a major capital improvement program, 
they can at least borrow against the asset and not, you know, not hit up everybody at one time for a huge assessment. So yeah. I think there's opportunities everywhere. I think this, this, this uh, pandemic will, will create opportunities for buyers. It'll create opportunities for investors. And I think the greatest opportunity will come in the, the ability to pick your unit. So maybe that apartment that was three floors higher that you couldn't afford just didn't make it. Now maybe you can get it. Or maybe right. you can get that unit without door space that you couldn't get before. Right. Or maybe a developer will release a unit that they wouldn't release pre-COVID and now they're happy to release it because they're happy to have a sale. Yeah, so this is me, this is this is the feature, the feature and amenity um, situation kind of right now. This is this is where you get that kind of stuff. And your co-op statement was spot on because co-ops don't have the speculative condo investor as well. Right. Exactly. So, so you have that element out of it. And, and, and what, you know, the majority of our housing stock is co-op. Everyone knows that. Um, exactly. I just, what I was going with, with the deals with the, with the buyers is, you know, buyers were going into pre-COVID. They were going into new developments thinking, all right, I'm getting at least 10, 15% off. I'm going to get maybe eight to 12 on price. And maybe I'll get an extra two to three or four on, on concessions. Um, what do you say to the agent that has to go to the buyer of new developments now that probably thinks, you know, again, they probably think in their head, and I guess rightfully so, considering the situation, that I, I, I'm bidding 25 or 30% below. Like, how do you get that, that buyer to say, well, listen, you know, I, I don't know if that market's going to be everywhere for new developments. You know what I'm saying? It might be right. isolated here and there. Right. I, I try to explain to them, you know, hey, listen, you know, every development's different, right? And every development also, remember, it, it's not just a developer's call. They have equity partners. They have debt partners. They have what's called minimum release prices. They have numbers that they can't go below. So, you know, it, it's not a free-for-all, you know, it, and maybe if the, de and, and if the developers paid off their loan and they're just sitting on asset, they have no real reason to sharply negotiate. They can wait it out. So I think, you know, th there are those opportunities where there's a development. Like I said, if I'm a, if I'm a broker counseling a buyer, where can I try to get a deal? Look for buildings that have been on the market for more than a year and are less than 25% sold. Those buildings have an issue. They're not meeting their absorption hurdles. They're, they're, they're probably suffering in many ways, and there may be a deal there. If you're working, going to a building that's over 50% sold, the developer's probably got enough staying power to wait things out a bit and is not going to drop very, very quickly um, unless it's a challenged unit, you know? Right. But, you know, but if I'm a broker right now, I'm looking, you know, and I want to get my client a deal, you got to take a little risk. But if the, if, 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 the, if, if the buyer is willing to take some risk, look at the projects that suffered before uh, the beginning of this year because those projects are in real trouble now. That's, that's gold. That's, that's really fantastic. That's an immediate takeaway. And I hope everyone bookmarks that because that's just, that's just great stuff in general to, to, to think about. Um, let me ask you this, Stephen, if looking forward and, you know, once we sort of kind of hopefully get COVID behind us, how, what's the recovery look like in terms of, of length of time for just the current units uh, that are actually on the market now and will be completed within the next year? God, I wish I had a great answer for that. I, we've been talking about that a that's lot. All, that's all I want. I just want a great morning. <laughs> no, you know, um, really there's, no there's no perfect answer because again, every market, every submarket is different. Every developer's situation is different. Um, and, and we just don't know how quickly people are going to come back to any sense of normal. So, mm. you know, I ask you, you, John, and you, Noah, if, if you were looking for a home pre-COVID, and now the governor says on June 1st, you can go look at homes again. How quickly are you running out to go look at those homes and potentially put yourself at some level of risk? 
that's a personal question that I can't answer for you. You guys can tell right. me. Right. You know, how quickly are you going to go walk around Manhattan without a mask? How quickly, yeah. right? How quickly are you going to go to a, to a restaurant? Because yeah. I will tell you, when the restaurants start getting busy, that's when we'll know that business will get Yeah, back. when the concerts start getting booked and the sporting exactly. events start reopening, that's... You know, I had three... I had by three then concerts. you missed it. By yeah, then I you missed it, Stephen. concerts canceled this summer. <laughs> I, I know, I know. It's, 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 it's disheartening. But uh, Stephen, that, that's when you missed it. You missed that it. That is when you missed it. That's why I'm saying when mm -hmm. you start to see the restaurants start to get back to some sense of normal, get in there quickly or else you're going to miss it. You're 100% yeah. right. When you start to hear that concerts aren't getting canceled, start to get out there. When, you know, if, if, if you can go to a baseball game, start to get out there. You know, that's what you're going to see. Um, until then, it's going to be few and far between because people are going to come back slowly. People are this. And also, you know, whether whether the media is right or wrong, you know, there's talk about a rebound in the fall. So yeah. it's really hard to make any long term projections when you have this. What I will say is mm -hmm. we're talking for the most part for 85 to 90 percent of the buyers out there. We're talking about buying a home. We're not talking about an investment. So. Right. The question is, if you wanted to live there pre-COVID, why wouldn't you want to live there post-COVID or during the, re, during the uh, kind of flattening of COVID, mm -hmm. right? And what's it worth to you? But this is not, for most people, this is not a short-term investment. It's a long-term investment and it's their home. And right. what happened, what happened in, the, in, the, in the mid 2000s and then just after the recession is people looked at new development sales and purchasing as a huge investment opportunity because they were buying two years before the product was completed. And by the time it was done, it was worth five, 10, 20, 30, 50, sometimes a hundred percent more because the market had gone up so quickly. Right. right. That was an anomaly. That doesn't happen in real life. You know, your parents bought their houses. They didn't expect it to go up exponentially every year. Yeah. 30 years later, the house was worth a lot more money, but it wasn't worth a lot more money three or four years later. Yeah, and, that's, that's another conversation. That's, that's, we could thank the Fed and everyone else for that one. But, uh, exactly, exactly. But, you <laughs> know, look, money, money's cheap and rents are high. So I do think you'll see, see people come back to buying because rents are through the roof and they're not, they're not going down. They're only well, going in one direction. We certainly look forward to that. Stephen Kliegerman, thank you so much. This has been fascinating, uh, eye-opening. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much um, for joining us. Um, we're going to have you back. Okay, we're going to have you back it. in a couple of months and, and we'll check back in. In the meantime, this is Noah and John. We are from Urban Digs. We're, of course, talking Manhattan and we'll catch you next time.